welcome to another episode of The Right Angle with me, Nicola Woodford-Smith. In this anticipated episode, I am joined by the incredibly talented Bobby Seagull. Bobby and I hosted the headline act of the first Pearson Maths Festival at the end of the summer term, and we are delighted to be reunited to discuss many themes that came out of the festival, but also to take this opportunity at the start of a new academic year to reflect and focus upon the year ahead. Of course, we will also talk about the exciting projects that lie ahead for Bobby and how he is continuing his mission to promote mathematics in a more positive way through the use of popular culture. So whatever you're up to while listening, we hope you enjoy. Bobby, what an absolute pleasure it is to have you back alongside me talking about all things maths. So thank you for for taking the time out today to come and join me. Especially, I think time is our most valuable commodity, but I'm happy to share that commodity in the aid of propagating our love for maths. Absolutely, well said. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> so just for the listeners, if they don't know, um, you know, that maybe they've lived under a rock or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, as a bit of background for you, you've worked as an investment banker. Um, you're a qualified chartered accountant. You're currently studying, um, you know, your Cambridge University doctorate student. And of course, a much loved oh. me personality but most importantly uh, you know in this space that we have here on this podcast you are a school teacher Mm. and you've got frontline experience of teaching across the pandemic obviously some of our listeners that have um, um, listened to previous podcasts will know that I've taught through the pandemic as well and left the classroom at Christmas so both of us know the ongoing struggles that are facing everyone um, as we try and engage these learners and not just necessarily young people but all learners into the world of mathematics Mm. and you of course have got many talents Mm. um, and an absolute toolkit full of inspirational advice which is why it's so important that I have you as a guest on this podcast to share and offer some advice to to the mass community. But of course, I will let you say more about you later. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I put you on the spot here a little bit. And before we get into the thick of it, um, you know, with a a you and I conversation around maths and Mm -hmm. our love of the education of maths, but I love an icebreaker at the start of these. So I know you mentioned in our festival, which we'll talk about a bit later, our festival session, that you listen to a a lot of music and got Mm -hmm. a wide variety of taste. So, what song is describing your life right now? Oh, so the thing is, luckily we've got Spotify. So I'm actually looking at my Spotify to see who are my most listened to bands, artists recently. And as you said, yeah, it is quite eclectic. Like I've got here Iron Maiden, um, some Bach, um, yeah. some Wu-Tang Clan and some Taylor Swift. So like wow, I stretch I stretch widely. <laughs> that's <laughs> one gonna, range. It is. It is. So the one thing I'm going I'm to pick is, um, so there's a Norwegian sort of pop artist called Sigrid, um, and she has a song called Mirror. And I'll, I'll I'll read a couple of lines, and I'll tell you why it's really important. Because I think nowadays, um, myself, I'm sure you, lots of our math teachers, we can sort of judge ourselves too much. We can be our worst critic. But this song is really poppy, like it's like a really upbeat song. But she's got this lyric here that says, I love who I see looking at me in the mirror. And I think sometimes we just need to go, actually, I'm all right, I'm fine. Because I think maths teachers, teachers generally, we can be like really harsh on ourselves. Like, oh, why didn't I do this? Why didn't I do that? Oh, not enough children passed. But I think sometimes just go, actually, we're all right. So that song, A, it's a really catchy song. B, it's got like a really positive message about us accepting ourselves, self-love. And thirdly, mirrors, 
Maths teachers, we like our mirror lines, don't we, in primary and secondary. Y equals X mirror line, Y equals 2X. Whatever mirror line you want to pick. So I think it's a multifaceted song. It's a multifaceted song. You thought about that thoroughly. I love that. <laughs> I'm gonna have. I'm downloading it now. I'm gonna. Oh, I'll add it song. to the playlist for for this afternoon. Um, so as we said earlier, a lot of our listeners are going to be maths teachers, and I always have in mind they're either listening on their way to work, or you know, at the gym after work, or trying to relax at the weekend and having some reflection time. Um, and this is going to be kind of right in the thick of being back at school and the first couple of weeks of of school in the new academic year. So as a maths teacher. What are the things that you do in your first week or within that first term that make sure that you're, you know, you're setting yourself up right for the year ahead? Mm, it's a really good question. I think, firstly, apart from the technical side, which I'll sort of talk about in a second, I think it's the people side, because ultimately teaching is a profession a job, a calling, a vocation where we work with young people and fellow teachers. So I say, the city sounds really basic, but I spend a lot of time trying to get to know the students' names. So whenever I do the register in the first few lessons, I make sure, and I, I give them a different reason. I tell them, um, every time, if I read your name, I'll just raise your hand uh, so I'm, I get to know your positions, but really because I just want to know what their faces are. But yeah. I think like, getting to know their names is really important. Um, and that's, yeah, it sounds like, oh, it's a bit of basic advice, but it, it makes a huge difference if you can know a child's name. And the, the earlier you do that, the better. And I think similarly, um, and you know this, Nicola, getting to know staff, if there are new staff, NQTs or people that are joining your department, get to know them, invest time in that relationship, have a coffee, have a chat with them about whatever the, you know, I was going to say Love Island, but probably in September, it'll be strictly, uh, that's on telly, chat to them about what they're watching, get to know people, because if you can build relationship, relationships up early in September, October time, they'll last you that entire term, that year, years down the line. So I think building those relationships and as well as people in the math department, this sounds like a very sort of human resources <laughs> approach, but I would say also get to know people, especially new people in other departments, because one of the things I think about maths is obviously your priority is to get your scheme of learning and teach your curriculum and make sure that you teach maths to the best of your ability. But maths is a subject that it can be taught across the curriculum. So if they're doing DT or P or science or geography, there'll be maths there. So I try to get to know the other staff and other departments and at least get that conversation going. So they know who I am as a person. It might be about football, it might be on my holidays. But then later on, when, it, when we're sort of looking at graphs, I might chat, have a chat with the science department person and say, hey, Phil, um, when are you covering graphs? I, we'd love to make sure that we synchronize. So I think setting myself up Rather than the technical side, obviously you do need to look at the scheme of learning, look at any minor changes uh, that have been done from the previous year or major changes. But I think getting to know people is probably the most important thing. And do that early on, because as with un our university experience, Nicola, you remember like as you go on in term, people sort of develop their friendship groups. So early on is the time to strike, I think, with that. Yeah, I, do you know, I, I think that's so true. And we discussed this a bit in our the festival session um, mm. that you know, just having some input from other departments will benefit, even if you build those really strong relationships with other staff members, then you can help each other out, you know, later in the term, get them, you know, invite them into a lesson and talk about the maths in their subject, like like we were saying before. But mm -hmm. also, if you've had a really bad day, mm. it's the other teachers that understand <laughs> where you're coming from. So if you've got that kind of network of other teachers that support network around you in in the institution in the center that you're at then they can offer you some comfort and be like it's okay it's just a 
one day. Tomorrow's going to be better. Don't worry. Yeah. But I think going back to your point about student names, I completely agree. And I used to say to mine, guys, I just I'm going to do this really weird thing that when I register, I'm going to look at your face because with my I've got a bit of a photographic memory. Mm -hmm. So give me a week and I will know. But it mm -hmm. means or it shows the students that you care and you're mm -hmm. invested them um you know and you if you don't if you forget their name it's so embarrassing isn't it that it's like you're not taking a vested interest in them but yeah I think you're absolutely right all of that other stuff the technical stuff the planning stuff the admin stuff mm. will come but yeah those interpersonal relationships with with departments and and your students I think is is really key you mentioned there about NQTs or they're now called ECTs aren't they early career teachers mm, yes um, I've got my one of my best friends has decided to change career you know she's coming out of industry into teaching um, so I've got kind of first-hand experience of listening to the stories that she's had over this past year of her training year mm. um, so we've got these fantastically you know fantastic professionals want to share their knowledge want to work with young people but they've they've been disrupted they're learning mm. and been disrupted over the past kind of 16 months 18 months or so and you know as I said my best friend she had one day of contact time with her college provider or her training provider mm. everything was virtual so now if if not thousands of people out there that are now working with the challenge of you know going from a 60 percent 80 percent timetable to full teaching mm. timetables all of that admin stuff that we've just mentioned that will come so what advice would it be the same for them, just build those relationships? So I think, yeah, firstly, I want to extend my sympathies to to those that have been training this year, doing their yeah. PGC or equivalent of the NQT. It's a, you know, teaching at the early stages is a challenge because you're entering a new profession, a new field, uh, delivering new material. So it's not it's not easy. Obviously, the rewards are there, which is why people stay in the profession. But it's been a tough year. So well done for sticking it through. A dear podcast listener while you're doing your ironing or driving or sitting on the commute so well done I, I i listen to podcasts nicola in fact i was listening to some of the other ones on your series while doing my laundry for me like that's my optimum when i do laundry and like housework that's the optimum time for podcast listening because i can really laundry doesn't take up sort of mental bandwidth so no. I, I absorb absorb your amazing podcast but i would say in terms of practical stuff i would say don't reinvent the wheel and this applies to any new NQT and particularly for people that are ECT type people who are starting properly in the profession if there are resources in your department ask people because again a lot of people that are teachers for most nearly all of them we take a lot of pride in our work and our powerpoints and our lessons and interactive whiteboard uh, the way we use it but you don't need to create a PowerPoint and a new unique one every single time you do a lesson. Ask your staff in the in the school, are there things I can use? Maybe adapt it for your own class, your own needs, but definitely don't reinvent the wheel. That's the first thing, because I remember in my uh, first year, I felt like oh, every lesson I've got to create by myself and make it add my own personal touch. And obviously it's nice to do that occasionally, but don't find other resources that other staff have used in the school. That's work. That really makes your life a lot easier. Secondly, I would tell them is that good is good enough because you know in the pre sort of days when we had Ofsted ratings and everyone wanted to try and be outstanding and of course you want to deliver the best but if you're setting yourself a unreachable target every lesson's got to be amazing and every student learns every single objective and progresses up one point up the learning scale you're you're, you're gonna 
you know, make but, yourself really hate the job and like, oh, I, I don't like what I'm doing because you're putting yourself under too much pressure. And I would yeah. say good is when I sort of mentor uh, new trainees or young teachers or older teachers who have joined the profession. I would say good is good enough. But I, although I do tell them occasionally, maybe once a week or once every couple of weeks, have a lesson that's wow that yeah. your students go, wow, that was such a good lesson. Really enjoy that. But the reality is most of your lessons just need to get them through the learning and be good enough. Um, yeah. And I think if you combine those two, not reinventing the wheel and learning to accept that good is good enough with the odd bit of wow, that is that will take you far. Because otherwise, you know, by Christmas, you'll be like, oh, I can't. And by Christmas, to be honest, even if you've done everything, you will still be like, I need my holidays. But <laughs> at least you'll be like a bit more cheerful rather than like completely gone. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I've had this conversation um, with my friend who's been training all the time. And I said, you're going to you're going to burn out. You know, mm. you just. And I remember saying to, as I was head of department and, and assistant head in previous schools, it, it was almost the same. an outstanding teacher delivers consistently good lessons. That's what that's what I used to say to them all the time. And of course, it's it's fantastic to you know when you're on show, when you've mm. got an inspector or your you know your superior or you're being mm. observed or something, and you, yeah, you pull those all the all the bells and whistles come out, don't they? And you make mm. a, you know, a fantastic lesson but it's exhausting to think that you need to do that day in day out so I completely I completely agree with that and yeah good is good enough absolutely um yeah an outstanding teacher will deliver consistently good mm. lessons and I just want to kind of plug the the Pearson us here at the maths team we've we're running a series of early career teaching events um for people to come along to they're they're on the on the um Pearson Maths website that they can just sign up and they're standalone sessions to help support, you know, training teachers throughout this academic year or last academic year that missed out on some training. But things like a session on, you know, establishing yourself and behaviour management or, um, you know, identifying progress or using bar modelling. So things that you would normally have in your training year. But we've decided to run some events for, from our point of view just to mm. help. Um, so people can can just go to the website and find those. Um, you're right. I remember the NQT year being busy. You feel mm. like you are spinning so mm. many plates, you know, you're, and you've got to be that swan in front of your <laughs> class, haven't you? Like, oh, this is all absolutely fun. <laughs> you know, it's your books are marked and I've been up since <laughs> three o'clock this morning, but it's all fun. We're all good. But Alongside your advice, I would just my advice would be take every opportunity you can that comes your way. If another team member offers, I don't know, some resources or I'm just going to throw this book out. Do you want this mm. book? Yes, please take everything that people are going to offer you, um, because that builds like a, an informal part of CPD. Um, I was always super, super reflective. And I think you're trained to do that as part of your uh, you know your teacher training but I would always I think I'll probably do it in everything actually what could I have done better where you know where can I improve uh, just to make yourself that better person so I think that's a really health healthy thing to do but without like you said in the beginning we're super critical of ourselves mm. as professionals and but to do it as a healthy uh, a healthy practice it's a bit like mindfulness isn't it you can just yeah. you know and think 
in this moment or if there's one thing I could change that would make not make it better for them but make it better for you mm. I, I sometimes I would come out of lessons feeling that I'd worked harder than the students had <laughs> oh. <laughs> so like I would think right how can I stop that from happening again to make this a better experience so it's getting that balance right and making sure that you're not burning yourself out because obviously like you said by by the Christmas holidays you're going to the- <laughs> But I always feel, I mean, mathematically, it's not true, but I always feel that Christmas is the halfway point for me. Mm. It's darker and colder and it feels, you know, kind of a bit more sluggish to get through those first two two terms. And then I feel like I'm at the top of the roller coaster when I come back after January. Ah. I never never considered that. That's a good point about how even though even though there are three terms, that first full term is like half the year and again if you get through that it's like it gets better so a lot of people that feel like oh teaching is not for me they're new teachers it's often like that first term they're like they, they put their hands up and say i'm done but actually if you can get through that then things yeah. definitely you're at the top of that roller coaster and actually i mm-hmm. want to extend the, that analogy from you know i picked sigrid's song mirror yeah. I think this should be the song for teachers because mirror is also about reflection and being reflective. Oh, and, <laughs> yes. I, yeah. Oh. And it, it's totally about like looking at yourself and go, ah, these are things that I, I'm doing. And someone else can look at the mirror with you and go, oh, actually, you need to maybe adjust your hair. Maybe like, how about you smile a bit more? Like, I don't know, whatever. Like, what are the equivalent is mathematically for your lessons? <laughs> reflecting. And I think being someone that's humble enough to say, I want to continuously learn. You might, you know, you might be someone that with a strong maths background, you might be teaching for many years, but we can always learn from other people. Uh, there might be people that are new teachers and we're like, actually they can teach something that they've learned in their training. So I think being reflective and wanting to learn is the way that you will keep on top of being a very good teacher. I think you're right. And I think that those sorts of personality traits and characteristics rub off on your students. If you demonstrate that passion of learning and wanting to, you know, wanting to not better yourself, that sounds kind of a little bit, kind of critical you know that you're being too harsh on yourself but you know by saying oh I read this or I've been looking this up at the weekend the students can see that you're invested in making yourself you know that what you're providing them better and then they that might rub off on them a little bit Mm. where they you know again like reflection they're trying to be that person that you're presenting and I think that's it's a great characteristic to have to share it's like modeling isn't it you're modeling Mm. learning behavior for your students so yeah I think Good luck to them all, everyone, everyone out there that's listening. And of course, from from the maths team here at Pearson, we're here to help everyone as much as we can. And if there's anything I can do, um, please, you know, I know many of you follow us on on Twitter. Um, You can just drop me a message. And, you know, if it's not there or you can't find it, I'm sure I'm happy to make it. If there's something you need, (laughs) like I'm here to to do whatever. Um, Let's go back a bit then, Bobby. So I mentioned earlier about um, your doctorate. So you're studying at Cambridge um, on the on this work that now I know you said before that the from the outset, it was kind of, you know, your passion was around mass anxiety. Mm. But you talking and for, for those that haven't watched the the festival session yet there's a slight shift in focus and you're ch- funneling that focus a little bit more so let's let's tell everyone what what you're currently working on as part of your research yeah so initially my plan was uh, and in fact I started out looking at maths anxiety in a secondary school classroom environment so maths anxiety we know what is so that negative emotion response uh, that people encounter when dealing with maths. Again, for our students is in the classroom and for adults in the real world, it can be, you know, the classic example of when the restaurant bill comes and everyone's panicking and like, getting anxious about that. And anxiety sort of can be split into 
two parts of attribution. One, it could be our attitude. People say, oh, maths is not their thing. I couldn't do maths when I was at school. Maths is only for a certain kind of brain. So you get the attitudinal anxiety. And then you get the competence anxiety where people just feel like they just can't. They haven't got the timetable skills. They don't understand percentages. So it's like the attitude and competence. And actually, as my sort of role in the media has expanded the last few years, um, anecdotally, I found pretty much every show I'm on. In fact, I was on I'm trying to think, I was on Sunday Morning Live, uh, BBC, very recently, in fact, the last couple of days. And mm. whenever someone mentions, oh, Bobby's a maths teacher, they'll always sort of pretty much say, oh, maths, I could never do that at school. I hated the subject. And mm. I found actually the impact I could have in terms of creating a body of work, a body of research, um, is about how the media plays a role in terms of our mathematical perception and then how that interplays with anxiety. Because I think there's a narrative not always, because there are people like Naga Manchetti, who's very positive about maths as a BBC <laughs> presenter. But there are lots of media presenters that will talk negatively about every time the word maths comes up, they'll denigrate the subject in a way in which they wouldn't say, oh, I can't read. I can't, you know, I, I can't write. I, I can't spell. People wouldn't sort of people be embarrassed to admit they can't read. But with maths, it's like a badge of honor. Yeah. So I'm trying to understand what role the media plays in terms of math perception and then how it links with anxiety. And again, one of the things I'm finding is actually very, it's very challenging trying to do a doctorate in math education as well as all the other things. But the yeah. one thing that I do, uh, you know, fingers crossed, I'll get the, the doctor done. But if, I, if I'm trying to think, what's the main objective? I want to actually create something that media organizations can use. So I'm trying to think, what's my dream in a few years? I'd love to create some sort of framework that all major media organizations, whether they're television or print or social media, that they sort of sign this charter. And this charter, I can imagine it saying things about what, what is maths, what is its role in society, but also what can they do to change attitudes and, and things like they will agree to not talk negatively about the subject. But if they do, they should explain why and what they can do to get better. So some sort of charter that helps change attitudes within the media towards maths. So that's what I'd love to create ultimately at the end of this process. Amazing. Could you imagine how, like, I, I'm going to say life-changing that would yeah. be for so many, for so many students out there. And I know we've spoken about the snowball effect that mm. we'll talk a bit more about later, but just to have that impact and to look back and to achieve something like that. Mm. I remember you, you saying, I think we'll, we'll share with the listeners about the using the word maths on your book title. <laughs> I, just, I, I think about that nearly every day and it really does bother me. It bothers me that even publishers think, well, a book written by a mathematician, <laughs> mathematics, can't have the word maths on the front because it might not sell. I know. It's, it just blows my mind and actually quite upsets me that, oh, no. you know, that the, the, the social perceptions can be that bad about mm. something that, you know, you and I and thousands and hundreds of thousands of people are so passionately in love with. Mm. It just it frustrates me. So I'll sign the charter if you need. <laughs> Thank you. I'll, I'll, I'll be part of that. Um, that you mentioned the previous um, podcast whilst doing your ironing. So that's that's great. And I, think <laughs> I, I do lots of mindless tasks when, I, when I'm ironing. But <laughs> previous episode to this, I had a, a great conversation with Susan O'Kraike, who you know very well. And we spoke about mass anxiety and how she gave some great advice on how to recognize a student that's presenting some anxious behavior and what they can do to, you know, to recognize or help support those students. 
so obviously I don't want to talk about the same thing on, on a, a separate podcast with you. I wanted to talk about something that's bigger or, you know, take it a little bit wider. Mm-hmm. I, I strongly believe that these social perceptions and its perceived difficulty has this negative impact on how society reacts um, to underachievement. Like you said, uh, you know, I can't do maths or I'm not very good at maths. It, it seems to be socially acceptable that you can underachieve in something that's so fundamental to life. And and we've had those conversations with parents, you know, at parents' evenings, mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, don't worry, Charlie, I couldn't do it. So, you know, don't worry and give mm-hmm. them a the back. So let's give some some tangible things for for our listeners to to take away here. What, in your opinion, mm-hmm. not just we'll talk about individuals in a second, but what as as school leaders or le- lecturers, mm-hmm. what what can they do to tackle these perceptions to you know that inhibits these anxiety and anxieties? What what's your advice? What in your opinion, what do you think mm. you know, these these professionals can do? So I would say, like, I'll share some of my experiences from my own school, what we've tried to do. And that might be applicable to people that are, especially school leaders, but also lecturers when they're uh, advising their trainees. So mm-hmm. one is, um, it's about trying to transform the, almost like the image of maths in that particular school. So in my school, we try and run, again, we coordinate with the, the team that does the pastoral whole school assemblies. We try to do every term at least one assembly to the to different all the different year groups, year seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, and slightly tailored to that year group, depending on this year seven or 11, about how maths impacts everyday life. You know, whether they, if they're year seven, it might be like, you know, the music charts, how it, how it impacts that, or sports league tables, or for year 11s when they're thinking about jobs and careers, how they can use maths and stats to work out which careers have the, you know, have the uh, highest income based on the subject. So I think something whole school, uh, where it's not just a maths lesson, it's like aimed at every single person, year 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. So getting some sort of positive messaging about maths. And then this links to that cross-curricular approach. We've been experimenting in my school with this as well, because a lot of young people, and Anikla, I think we discussed this actually um, at the festival, the headline mm-hmm. event, about how young people can compartmentalise maths learning. They're like, oh, um, I'm going to learn graphs with Miss Woodford-Smith, but when I go to science, I'm going to completely forget how to use a ruler and how to... <laughs> Plot the axes. I'm just. I never learned it before, Mr. Science teacher. But yeah. and the way to overcome that one way is, I think, working again. This is is harder in practice than than in theory. But is to work with the P department, the science department, geography department. And what we've done practically in my school is that there are certain lessons. Uh, for example, in DT, they were looking at interpreting charts. Where I went, or other teachers, we went, and that particular lesson, we taught it with the DD department. So design technology, we're teaching this lesson, and then Mr. Seagull comes in, or Miss Smith comes in, yeah. um, and they actually teach it with them. So the students think, oh, I can see the DD teacher and the math teacher collaborating. It must oh. be the same thing that we learn. And yeah. they're less likely to compartmentalize. And again, for this to happen, though, requires you to build relationships, be it your head of department, or be it other teachers in other departments, because obviously this is extra work and it's going beyond the call of duty as it were. But if you really want to try and influence maths, not just in that subject, but within other subjects, you need that cross-curricular approach. And this is where my third approach comes in again. Again, all these things I realize are, they are challenging, it takes effort, but the best things in life require effort, yeah. <laughs> um, is targeting parents. And 
obviously you've got parents' evenings where they come along, but I think, especially for younger parents, younger parents meaning of year sevens and eights, at my school, we've held events uh, in the in the first term and second term where we have like, ah, oh, how can parents help their children with maths? And most parents, they do want to help their children with maths, but they're not quite sure. So we've done sessions on attitudes and how parents can improve the way maths is messaged within their own household. And a lot of parents who came along, ah, oh, thank you, sir, thank you, miss. I feel like I'm going to try and, again, when parents are doing cooking or when they're doing shopping or they're doing budgeting, they try and include uh, their children in those conversations. So I think it's like, a whole school approach where you're looking at the positive uh, assemblies and messaging about maths, working with other departments to see how you can include maths across the curriculum. And also then uh, parents um, and how you can get them to change the messaging. So again, it requires an assembly after school with them, but that can help. And then the final bit of the jigsaw is teachers in other subjects, because there, there are a lot of teachers who are excellent at teaching English, excellent at teaching music but they might not have liked maths at school. And if, you know, if you're a form teacher and you just say you teach English or music and the child, you, you're seeing your student with, with their maths homework and then the teacher can sometimes just accidentally go, oh God, I wasn't very good at maths myself. Oh, Actually, yeah. Working with other teachers. So when I was faculty head of a uh, school uh, in maths in East London, we actually did sessions with teachers, helping them to feel more confident in maths looking at basics like fractions and percentages. And again, all this requires effort, but it meant that in that particular school, teachers of other subjects felt a bit more confident about maths. So it meant that they're more likely to share positive messaging. So I think we're talking about tackling perceptions around maths that inhibits and anxieties. You can change the messaging around the subject, getting teachers to buy it, getting parents to get on board, getting other students to get on board. I think that's the way it changes. Like, it's like, a, an entire network that we need to try and tackle. Again, this all of them take time, but try and think of one thing that you can do as a teacher. Is it parents? Maybe is it fellow teachers? Is it other departments? Is it students and assemblies? But try and think of one thing that you can do this coming year to help change that attitude about maths in the school. I think I've just written quite a few notes <laughs> as you were talking about things that, you know, there's not much I disagree with you mm -hmm. on when we talk about this, these sorts of things, mm -hmm. but I, you know that ties back when you talk about you know bringing in other people from other departments isn't that kind of what we were saying in the very beginning today about going and building those relationships with other staff members because you know later on in the year when you're thinking oh I might try some cross-curricular things then you can use those relationships that you've built up to, to mm. pull those people in to help you and you're right it is such a collective approach but if if we continue, if, if centres continue to do the same thing they did last year and the year before, nothing is going to change. Mm. One, one little thing, you know, give, give a, a team, you know, one focus. There, there are a lot of centres or even multi-academy trusts now that have directors of maths, you know, as well as, um, you know, a head of maths and you've got a head of key stage three or a head of key stage four. Or there are so many people that, that have these, you know, the, the TLRs and things that they could do to help. It doesn't mean that every single one person needs to do something. Mm. It means they could come up with an initiative just for this academic year. Let's bring parents in, for example, mm. and work on that. Um, I like what you said about, you know, an, anything that's worth it, anything that's good, that, you know, that improves things is going to take time. You know, mm. I say that to, to my students all the time when they were you know aiming for I don't know a grade nine or something mm. this is hard yes because anything <laughs> is worth it anything that's amazing 
is not going to be straightforward. You've got to work at it. And yeah. I think it applies to, to everything. Um, you know, if, if it's worth it, it you're going to have to work at it. Um, but I think, you know, that, that snowball effect of, of positivity, if, if you can do it as an individual and create that positivity in your class, then that will expand out to their circle. If you can do it within a department, that's going to expand out to the school. And mm. when you said about the assemblies at year group, I could just imagine, actually, I did do a, a whole year group assembly on misconceptions around mm and you know things in the media where you know where Sainsbury's gets it wrong and <laughs> you know, it's, they, they give you three for a fiver when actually if you bought them individually it'd be cheaper so mm. I, I did an assembly and and the the, the shock or the the confusion on their face when they mm. saw me at the front of the theatre like mm. what why is, why is she here like <laughs> why is she talking and it is that that tunnel vision that I, hang on I only talk about maths in a maths classroom mm. with teachers so I think all of those things you've mentioned I think if anyone listening today starts to even investigate one of those things I think we're making good progress um but going back to what Susan and I were talking about uh, um about the, the mass anxiety and, and perceptions and recognizing a student that might be presenting you know some some mass anxiety whether that be like you said before is it attitude is it competence it's it's making sure that as an individual we've just spoken about you know a collective approach and doing it on the wider scale but it's, it is really important that you're dealing with individuals that may mm. be struggling they may look at their timetable in the morning and think I don't want to go to school today mm. because I've got maths and I've I've taught many of those students that you know they're even at the back of the line as they're coming in the classroom their head is down they are they're feeling uncomfortable they don't want to be there so I was really I mean I'm quite bubbly I'm a bit like you I'm very <laughs> bubbly I'm lively I'm excited and love what I do so I was always very aware to not cause you know, not to have that anxious environment and we'd always have it as a very kind of safe space. And I used to say that all the time, nothing's going to happen to you. Like this, mm -hmm. this is, safe. give me the wrong answer. I'd rather you give me a wrong answer than no answer. Um, and really champion the idea of making mistakes. Um, I saw something on one of the social media channels today that said, the minute you give up is when you fail. You're never going to fail unless you give up. So just keep trying, keep making the mistakes. And I used to say to them, I, I won't be able to see how much progress you've made unless you make these mistakes. Mm -hmm. So the challenge we have is young people just, they, they don't want to get it wrong, do they? They're frightened of getting mm -hmm. it wrong. And I think creating that environment was, was paramount. But that's what I did on my own in my classroom where mm -hmm. I had control to do that, which is, why I thought, you know, we all know how to address those. Susan and I spoke about that in the last po podcast, but I just thought it was really important to ask you about, let's let's widen this out now. You and I have got a combined objective here of mm -hmm. trying to change things. So let's talk about what, what departments can do and subject leaders um, can do. So thank you. Um, you know, that's that's really helpful. And I'm, I'm really interested in people getting in touch and letting us know what, what they've tried. Mm. Um, Worked. and if something has worked then I would love to you know I'm, I'm a big sharing person so if if someone's done something that's working then then share and, and we can we can put that on our on our Twitter pages um Bobby I'm conscious mm. like time is 
like we're chatting away as we always <laughs> yeah uh, I'm conscious that we're getting towards the end of of our episode and, and we're covering so many things but as part of this um ongoing battle to change social perceptions let's let's celebrate like your platform and everything that you're doing fame should we call it fame <laughs> you're famous um just to highlight how cool it is maths is super yeah it is and literally is in everything um literally everything and i am you know i'm, I'm known as the biggest geek to anyone around <laughs> me um but firstly let's let's tell our listeners especially those ones that don't know like what happened how were you literally catapulted um into the, the or onto the platform that you are now yeah so i'll a little like is it craig david rewind rewind i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna actually i'm gonna rewind back to um my just very quickly like my my story which i did yeah. say at the festival but i'll re- recap it again because it tells you why i became a teacher and then how i ended up being sort of catapulted uh, in my school i don't like them they don't, they're not allowed to use the word mrs seagull's famous or a celebrity they can use the word mrs seagull's profile Yes, <laughs> I don't. That's why I was like, "Would you call yourself?" I famous? know. I just say like, yes. I think like I've done programs that say the word celebrity, like mastermind stuff. But I prefer the word like he's got profile. But anyway, so my story is: so my parents are from a place called Kerala, a state in South India. They moved to Britain in the late 70s. So I was born and raised in East London. I'm a huge West Ham fan. I went to a good state school called St Bonaventures in East London till I was 16 and I was lucky enough to get a scholarship to Eton College. Obviously that's a you know completely different experience for my A-levels. Then I started doing maths at Oxford, then maths and economics at Royal Holloway and then my initial career after uni was as a trader in a investment bank called Lehman Brothers. And if anyone knows their economic history, Lehman Brothers collapsed. It's not my fault, okay? It's not my fault. Don't blame me. <laughs> um, then I was a trader at a bank called Nomura, a Japanese bank. And I did like a side wish. You're still in finance. And I qualified as a chartered accountant at PwC. And you might think, oh, how's this guy Bobby Siegel as a teacher? Well, why did he leave this profession? And actually, I quite enjoyed my finance career. But when I was at PwC, I did a mini sabbatical um, teaching new graduates joining the firm. And you know what? I absolutely loved the teaching. And I was about 30 at the time. And I thought, oh, where can I do this teaching but teach people that probably need my help more? And I said, actually, um, let's go and do my teacher training. So I went to Cambridge, did my teacher training, uh, my PGC, my master's. Um, and, you know, I became a full time teacher. I was a faculty head. But when I was doing my master's, I took part uh, in a quiz called University Challenge. And I've always been good at knowledge and I read around a lot. I'm, I take pride in being a geek like you do. I, I, love, I love being a geek. Um, but I went on University Challenge. I didn't win it. Actually, I lost to another team from Cambridge. Um, Wilson College, Cambridge. But the BBC, the, uh, they really love my enthusiasm. In fact, I went viral on Twitter during my series a few times. People were like, Seagull, wow, he's got, you know, he knows a lot of stuff, but he's really like enthusiastic. He's uh, making geek chic. Um, I remember like before my semi final match against Eric Monkwenstein, we had like Stephen Fry talking about us, Louis Theroux. And then we were, we invited to the one show after a match. We met Riz Ahmed, the was the Oscar nominated actor. And then from there, it just went on. The BBC gave me a couple of road trip series. I published a couple of books with Penguin. Um, and I've gone to have other shows like The Answer Trap on Channel 4. And I do a lot of stuff on BBC generally. And I think it's a combination of being in the right place at the right time. I had the right mindset. Because when I got interviewed a lot, Nicola, about my time in University Challenge. Because every year, there's a couple of people that go viral 
for like you know 15 minutes as well but i yeah. wanted to use that platform to talk about maths education to talk about reading to talk about why i'm knowledgeable rather than just saying oh bobby's a genius he might be really smart but probably smart because he worked hard for a long period of time and then that's what's continued my journey because again i've talked about maths in the media again i listeners might be able to see that I'm on Would I Lie to You or BBC One. It's a comedy panel show. But when I'm on the show, I talk about maths. I talk about prime numbers. So anything I do, I try to bring in my love for numbers because then I can become one of those positive faces for maths in the media. Yeah. Make it look cool. Yeah, we'll try. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And why, why not? You've got, you know, it goes back to what I was saying, or the advice I was giving NQTs earlier about just taking those opportunities, anything that that comes your way, but you're doing it for for the greater good and, you know, for the championing this maths education and and just maths in general. Um, and I think you know it's very clever. I was watching a few a few episodes of The Answer Trap a while mm-hmm. back, thinking he's really smart. He's <laughs> snuck in that you know no one else would come. Mm-hmm. That kind of straight away and I'm like that's very clever I like that he's done that and then I find it quite funny because being a, a geek it's like oh that's quite funny that he's, he's used that there but um so we spoke a little bit about this in, in our festival session but what impact is popular culture having on learners um is there anything that stands out that you think that's that's really had an impact like that thing that I did really impacted or you know you might not have known it at the time but mm. your students at school might have said sir that was really cool or we didn't get that so what's been your most memorable or impactful social appearance oh so okay I'll, I'll tell you about two things which are like they'll be like runners up position second and bronze and silver i'll come to the gold one so the bronze and silver bronze would be when i was on bbc breakfast for world password day and talking about the maths of combinations for passwords and i was accidentally uh, replaced Jade from Little Mix momentarily and I got into a bit and then they said you know would I be willing to join the band and I said as long as they're willing to do maths and it was quite funny and I just got a little bit of like got I think there were Little Mix fans on Instagram in particular interacting with me but oh you're that cool maths teacher and I got yeah again that's a there, there are a lot of people out there on that particular day they thought up oh, more positively your maths so that's a, a bronze medal in my silver medal position there was I'm a big fan of Strictly Come Dancing. I was on It Takes Two, a a weekly celebrity panel show. And then Alexander Burke, who's been a Strictly Finest X Factor winner, and Giles Brandreth, who's like a countdown former panellist. They were on the show. And then I wore a shirt, a yellow shirt, that says, I love maths. And the I was actually the square root of minus one, the imaginary number. And I got to discuss maths and do some Seagull Strictly stats. And that's quite a sizable audience. And with that audience, they... I tried to talk to them about how actually stats and maths are intrinsically related to strictly because if you're dancing or looking at scores and you actually do like maths so that's that were two things which I I quite enjoyed in terms of um, sort of making an impact on maths and the media and perceptions but the thing which I think had the most impact was a few years ago actually in 2017 to 18 as well as teaching my normal students I taught three BBC breakfast presenters for the maths GCSE so Nagam and Chetty obviously the, the sort of very famous presenter and Radio 5 Live then two other presenters Jane uh, McGubbin and Tim Muffet and I taught them and we had every couple of weeks we'd do an update we'd show a little episode where I was teaching them something or we'd meet students or we'd discuss about maths anxiety and this is on regularly on BBC Breakfast for weeks you know, for, for, for the course of that GCSE series and what it meant was that the BBC started going actually maths is something that we quite like and every time I was on I would do puzzles 
uh, and get people talking about that. And even to this day, when I'm on BBC Breakfast doing the newspaper review or talking about something, they'll get they'll say, oh, Bobby, do a puzzle for us. So I think yeah. it's been it's helped to change BBC's attitude towards maths because now they're like, ah, OK, ideally over the longer term, they'd get more advocates of the subject. But for now, they use me as someone they'll get me on, talk about maths and any sort of issue, whether it's about again when it's England were playing um, before they were playing Scotland. And I was talking about the probabilities and the bookies odds. And again, bringing a bit of maths there. So that, for me, that BBC maths series on, on GCSE was probably the thing that's had the biggest impact on, on maths and the media. Do you know, I think I completely remember all of that. And I remember Naga chatting about how, I mean, she was quite nervous. She said she mm. didn't do bad, you know, when she did her GCSE maths as a, as a teenager. Mm. But she was, you know, she, she wanted to do it again and she wanted to see if she could still do it and whether she could remember. So I remember watching those. And I think to have that sort for, for young people to see that happening for, for you know, grown-ups to, mm. to putting themselves through what they are going through I think was really a really powerful thing and I was you know sharing it with my students all the time saying look even grown-ups it's okay to feel nervous and make mistakes mm. grown-ups that you know are on tv are having a go so you know it's quite normal to to be the way that you are and, and feel the way that you do because you know everyone else does um and I think you have that that great you know you, know, you said that the BBC saw that you had a personality and you were you're, you know you're passionate you know, you, you you could portray this love of maths really well. And I remember reading somewhere that you were nicknamed as Tigger mm -hmm. <laughs> at school due to your vast, vast amount of energy. Um, you know, that has not depleted. I remember in my NQT year, mm -hmm. my mentor saying, cheapers, Nicola, that you won't be like this forever. You'll be worn. <laughs> and here I am, like yeah. 13 years teaching, <laughs> still as passionate as ever. Yeah. Um, but it's about working smart, isn't it? Like we said earlier about, you know, not kind of overdoing it or challenging yourself to be outstanding all the time. Mm. So, yeah, I'm just as energetic mm -hmm. and passionate about maths and education. Couldn't agree with you more um, about everything that you're doing and everything that you're saying. Um, I want to pick up on the maths champions that we mm. were talking about in the festival. Yes. So those um, listeners that haven't um, had a chance to catch up on on that yet we were asking people all across the country and the world i had people from all over the world joining our sessions yeah. nominating their colleagues just championing someone that they've worked with who had inspired them um you know in their maths community um and i was i was so overwhelmed and actually a little bit jealous of those people that were still working together because it is an you know it's an incredible position to be in and and that continues to happen across you know or in classrooms across the country um i did put you on the spot then but i kind of said i'll ask you in the podcast so i mentioned that i'd ask you who your maths champion was or is um because you know in our education and our journeys as individuals we've been inspired by so many different people mm. so if you were to pick one or two oh. and you don't have to choose me <laughs> Who who are they, Bobby? Who's your maths champions? Oh, this is a really tricky question. You know, I, I have thought about it, but it's still hard. Obviously, <laughs> you have now emerged as a as a maths champion. Your you, you, your passion is clearly amazing. So obviously, you're going to be on my list now, oh, for, now and forever. So <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I'm trying to think, like in terms of, like public maths champions and school maths champions. So I'll probably firstly say the school ones, and then talk about the public ones. The school. Um, Obviously, Susan Okereke, my maths appeal, 
uh, co-host, but there was there's a lady called Joe Morgan, uh, and she's known as Maths Gem on Twitter, and yeah. she's I think an assistant head teacher now. But she's someone that tirelessly creates resources and a community for maths teachers on social media. Um, so she's someone that has done so much work for maths teachers in the UK, and I think she's absolutely brilliant. So Joe Morgan, so she's like a proper champion. Um, yeah. And then someone I'm going to go international. I'm going to. You know, we can't fly that much during COVID and lockdown. But at some stage, if, we, if I get a chance to visit Australia, there's a math teacher called Eddie Wu. And he actually he won like one of the global teacher prizes, like top 10. And he has a YouTube channel called WooTube. And I think the story was one of his students was ill a few years ago and they wanted to continue his maths education. So he put a, like literally a camera in the maths classroom. And this started him creating YouTube videos. And obviously teachers, is very, you know, you don't, I don't expect people to create YouTube videos. But Eddie Wu is like almost like, an, on, almost like an Australian version of me in terms of like he's so positive and you he's so positive about maths and he and in fact I think he even didn't do maths at you as his first subject he might have been English but he 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 found maths difficult at school but realized actually with hard work and effort and repetition you can become confident at the subject so he's like my international champion for maths um, and someone that's inspired me as I started trying to take up the role of doing maths communicating more widely so it's uh, Joe Morgan in the UK um, and Eddie Wu internationally. And actually, Eddie Wu, I was doing a quiz in the Times newspaper, and actually had a, he was a question. It said, Eddie Wu, um, famous maths teacher and YouTuber, is from which country? I'm like, I know that. I know that. <laughs> they used the word famous, Bobby, to describe him. <laughs> I know, they did. They did. They did. Um, I couldn't agree more about Susan as well. And it's funny you mention um, Jo Morgan. I was in a tweet, tagged in a tweet with her today from, from someone out in the community asking for particular resources. Um, so she definitely is is out there inspiring, inspiring everybody. Um, but yeah, great choices. They're, they're amazing choices. I'm going to have to look up Eddie's... Um, Eddie Wu, yeah. I'm going to have a look at some of those videos. Um, so... Bobby, it's sad, sad times. Um, our time is coming to an end and I just want to say a, a huge thank you again for joining me to help share this positive energy and passion and all of the tips and advice um, to our listeners as, as they're about to you know, take on another academic year, hopefully smoother than the past two, but you know, I've got everything crossed that that we get some normal academic year this year. But I also want to thank you for allowing us to celebrate the power of maths together. Um, I'm I'm so inspired by your work, and I know that I speak on behalf of of the entire maths community when when I say that we are 100% behind everything that you do. Um, so thank you, thank you for your time today. My absolute pleasure. And again, it's always a joy to speak to people like you that are equally as enthusiastic and passionate about the subject and thank you to our listeners for you know while they're doing their ironing or commuting or doing their shopping listening as well we appreciate your time as well <laughs> i like that you think that they're ironing i always think that <laughs> they're on a treadmill bobby they're, treadmill, okay. they're, they're day away um so everyone thank you all for listening and please do take very good care of yourselves and we will see you again on the next episode of the right angle 